This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I am joined in studio once again with by Jim Sebastio. Jim, good to see you. Uh, good to see you as well, Brian. Now, we have a little different plan. We have a special guest in the studio uh, for the next couple of episodes. We're really excited about that. We're going to get to introduce that guest in a moment. Before we do that, though, we felt it was best because our format this next year will be Jim and myself going back and forth on issues as we have done in the past. But Jim has had a, something that's happened to him recently that has affected him in a way to, to not be able to preach as much and even would affect uh, him being able to talk much on podcast. And so we want to fill you in on that, let Jim share a little bit about what's going on, and we want to ask that you would pray for him and after he explains what's going on. Uh, thanks, Brian. Yeah, um, about uh, almost uh, five weeks ago, I was uh, sitting at my desk and uh, uh, felt my uh, face becoming numb on one side, my tongue is where I noticed it at first, and then... Uh, by uh, 24 hours later, the uh, right side of my face was uh, completely paralyzed. Uh, so I, I can't close my eye or blink my eye, and the right side of my face, uh, mouth, um, is uh, looks like a, a permanent scowl uh, uh, right now. And so, um, Speaking publicly for any length of time is uh, quite uh, fatiguing, and certain words become difficult to pronounce. And uh, and so I've had the last uh, five weeks out of the pulpit, which is the longest in mm-hmm. probably 35 years I've gone without uh, preaching. And so I've been enjoying the ministry of uh, others uh, and uh, taking a uh, forced sabbatical. Mm. So... Jim, thanks. And I think we just wanted to let you all know what's going on. Uh, also, just asking you to pray for Jim. We even ask this. If you've been helped by the podcast and just know this ministry and uh, all we're doing with Practical Shepherding, Jim is a, an integral part of it, as many of you know. So would you just regularly pray for Jim that God would... This is a condition that can just be restored just like that, right? Uh, yes, I should have said it's called Bell's palsy. Some of you will be familiar with that. So it was not a stroke. So I was, right. uh, I had, I had been familiar with Bell's palsy and when it began to happen, I thought, well, this looks like a classic case of it. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, confirmed by, uh, at the emergency room. So we are really blessed though, to have a special guest in the studio. We're it's hopefully the next couple of podcast episodes, these first couple of 2019 are going to be with this this special guest that's with us, and uh, I'm going to ask Jim to introduce him since Jim knows him really well. Yeah, I'm very thankful to have with us uh, uh, Pastor uh, Conrad Mbewe uh, from the Kabwada Baptist Church in Zambia, Lusaka, the capital of uh, Zambia, and I've known uh, of Conrad for well, probably getting close to 20 years Um and uh, but had the opportunity to first meet him in 2007 when our church um, had begun uh, a ministry in Zambia. We'd sent one of our elders over to Zambia, and uh, but we've developed a friendship. And every time I can get him to come and minister the word to us, he preached for us uh, yesterday, the last Lord's Day of the year, and the Lord really blessed um, that ministry. So we're thankful to have here Pastor Conrad. Conrad, welcome to. Uh, trench talk of practical shepherding. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. I really appreciate the opportunity to be with you men on this podcast. Now, Comrade, I w- I'm really excited to finally gotten to meet you in person. For years, we have 
We have corresponded through email. Uh, you've written blurbs to some of our practical shepherding books. <laughs> I've been to Kamwata Baptist Church uh, when uh, Jim and myself were. I went to Zambia. My only trip to Zambia was with Jim uh, about six or seven years ago, and was at the church on a Sunday. While ironically, you were in the United States preaching. So, uh, so it's so great to see you, and thank you so much for being willing to do this. This is really exciting for us, and I know, uh, I know a lot of listeners know who you are and uh, will be real excited to listen to this. But those who don't, we just want to have you here to commend you and your ministry. Jim and I have both been very affected by your work and your ministry and your example. So thank you for doing that and being here for us with us. So Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Brian. I really appreciate it. So will you just share a little bit, just kind of give us a, a broad view of who you are for maybe somebody who doesn't, doesn't know you and... Um, and we'll start there, and then I want to dig a little bit into your upbringing and your conversion to Christ and those kind of things. All right. Well, as you have already pointed out, my name is Conrad Mbewe. I'm um, a Zambian born and bred uh, in Africa, um, and uh, I pastor Kabwata Baptist Church in the capital city of Zambia. Um, I have a wife. Her name is Felistas. And we have six children, three through adoption in the wider African uh, sort of cultural setting, which is fairly different yeah, right. from what you have out okay. in the West. And then three that the Lord uh, gave to us through birth. Um, I think that's what I would say about myself um, in a nutshell. Hmm. Did I see you? You actually married one of your, you married off one of your daughters recently. Did I notice? Did that happen this past year? Yes, yes. That's in fact just a week and a half ago. Oh right, so okay, it's still great. Very fresh. Congratulations. That could be a separate podcast, <laughs> couldn't it? So, so exactly. but, I, but I want to. Uh, I first want to start with your your upbringing. So you were born and raised in in Zambia. Yes. What was your upbringing like? When, when did you? What? How old were you when you became a Christian? Will you talk about some of that? Yes, um, uh, I was brought up uh, by a dad who was a teacher by profession and a mom who was a nurse. In fact, my mother was the second registered nurse in the history of our country. Wow, really? So yes, she mm. was trained in South Africa and then just came back home and uh, helped to develop the nursing profession mm. in the country. She died when she was only in her mid-30s, so she was still quite young. Wow. And then my two sisters... And I were brought up after that in the same way that we've, we're bringing up these other uh, three children in our home, but this time by her immediate elder sister, uh, until we went through our teenage years. And as one by one, we began going into university. That's how we began coming back uh, to dad's home. Hmm. Um, so that's really the way in which uh, I, I was brought up. The, it was a church-going family hmm. in the denomination that grew out of David Livingstone's missionary work, okay. referred to as the United Church in Zambia. Um, the, the, because my mom died when I was still very young, I'm unable to really say much about her uh, being a genuine uh, believer in Christ, except to say that when I became a Christian, I stumbled across a Bible mm. that had a kind of decision card in it, mm. where while in South Africa, 
she professed faith in Christ during a Billy Graham crusade. Interesting. So whether that was real or not, as you know, easy believism easily creeps mm. into that. Mm. My dad got converted soon after my elder sister and my own conversion. Mm. At least I was old enough now to, to be able to tell whether this was uh, genuine or not. And how old were you at that time? I became a Christian around about the age of 17 when I was going from uh, high school to university, that break in between. And then a year later, that's when my, my dad got converted. My elder sister got converted a few months before. Mm. In fact, it was because of the transformation that I found in her life mm. that I became conscious that I may not be a real Christian hmm. and consequently began seeking until the Lord saved me. What a great testimony of the way that family can be an influence yes. in those ways. What kind of church were you a part of then? When you, as, you, as your family's becoming believers, what kind of church were you all part of at that point? It was a Baptist church. What happened is that, as I said, we, we were taken by my mom's older sister to be fostered through our teenage years. My elder sister came to the university first, and at that time, there was only one university in the whole country. So when she came, she came back to dad's home. Hmm. The local Baptist church in the area had a deliberate evangelistic outreach to first-year students. Hmm. So she attended those meetings and got converted. Hmm. Okay. So that was round about September 1978. Okay. I then arrived round about December that year, noticed the change, went through all these processes that I mentioned in terms of doubting who I was uh, in Christ. And then in March 1979, that's when I also bowed the knee hmm. to Christ and then joined her at the same local Baptist church, uh, the Lusaka Baptist Church. Oh, Lusaka Baptist. Okay, yes. great. That's great. <laughs> now, so what's your educational background? Did you go to university after after you graduated from high school and those kinds of things? Yes, yes. I, I studied mining engineering at uh, the University of Zambia. Okay. And then went on to work in the Zambian copper mines. As you, If you've been familiar with Zambia, that's what keeps the nation going. Mm. It's the amount of copper that God has blessed us with as a nation. So I worked for three years, and then Kabwata Baptist Church called me. Yeah, so would you talk about your call into the ministry? How did you? So you became a Christian at age 17 and be, begun to be a part of a local church, started working. How did you sort through your call in the ministry? When did that happen, and how were you thinking through that? Yeah, what happened was that within the first year of my conversion, well, actually, exactly a year after my conversion, I was baptized okay. at the Lusaka Baptist Church. Now, the months before, I had already begun doing quite a bit of Christian reading for my own spiritual growth. And it, somewhere there, I must have stumbled across um, Spurgeon's uh, autobiography, speaking about how he got converted yeah. and induces and got baptized and so on. And I, I remember I was still a very young uh, believer within a year, be beginning to to have a, a sense of attachment to this individual. Mm. 
And um, after I got baptized, I remember coming out of the water with this phrase on my mind. Uh, and I can't remember whether I got it out of uh, Spurgeon's biography, but it, it, it was, the phrase was something like, Jesus, I'm going to fly my flags high hmm. from this point onwards. Hmm. And um, as I began to spend time alone with the Lord in prayer, an urge just began to grow in me to preach. Hmm. And I've never forgotten rebuking myself about it because I was <laughs> hardly a year or two in the Lord. Right. Um, thinking perhaps I was admiring my own church pastor as right. he's preaching mm-hmm. and consequently saying, hey, you know, that's, that's for big people and so on. But that desire didn't go away, and especially when I would be praying and, and mm. reading God's word. So I consulted an older Christian because I thought perhaps I should quit my studies, go to Bible college or something. Mm. And um, this older uh, believer who was in our hall of residence took me to Romans 1 and showed how Paul knew that he would visit Rome, but not in terms of when. So he was sort of waiting on the Lord to open the door. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, it's one thing to know, to have a conviction about what you want to do. It's something else to know when to do it. And between the knowledge of what and the when, you wait upon the Lord. That was the basic counsel he gave me. Yeah. Being a young Christian then, I was, I was a little disappointed. I thought he'd give me a few Bible college addresses and say, <laughs> send you on your way. Yeah. <laughs> but I had a lot of respect for him. He was our um, Hall of Residence Bible study leader. Mm. And I loved the way he would take us through the scriptures. So I went back to my room and said to the Lord, Lord, if it's you calling me, I'm willing to save you. Until then, Whatever door you open, I will seek to to faithfully serve. Hmm. So it was another seven years wow. before the Lord finally opened the door for me to go to Kabwata Baptist. Wow. In between, Lusaka Baptist Church had begun Kabwata Baptist, and I was part of the team that was then going out to uh, do outreach work up until I left university and then went to work in the mines. In fact, the last message I preached as I was leaving was in the Kawata Baptist Church uh, meeting place. In those days, there were no facilities. We were just renting a community welfare hall. I also grew in terms of student leadership. Mm. I became the leader of the Christian group, evangelical Christian group, in this one university, mm. it had about 3,000 students, and our Christian group had about 400 students. Wow. So it was about 11% yeah. of the student population. And then they also made me the primary leader at national level for the evangelical students. So clearly, the, the gifts were beginning to to show in terms of leadership and preaching and so on. And you were having, you clearly had opportunities to develop those through those years, even as, as you were leading up to eventually becoming uh, a pastor in the yes. church. Yes. Did you have any mentors during that time that were training you for ministry? Or would you say most of your development came out of just the opportunities to do ministry and your gifts develop in what you described? Well, first of all, in terms of the expository preaching, it was the pastor that I had then. 
mm. uh, Pastor Joseph Fukwe, who was the pastor of the Lusaka Baptist Church. He had grown up in Scotland and had been exposed mm. to the ministries of individuals like Lord Jones in England and other right, yeah. others in the, uh, the Scottish tradition. Uh, in fact, he got converted there. Hmm. and then answered God's call there, then came to Zambia. So hmm. he, in many ways, he introduced the consecutive expository uh, preaching mode in, in our whole country. So I had the benefit of sitting under him for five years. Hmm. He was also a person who was given to, to pastoral ministry. To him, church was not just a preaching point. He was very strong on one-on-one discipleship. Okay. Um, so in many ways, it was what I was seeing of him that then I went on to replicate when I entered into uh, pastoral ministry. Hmm. But also as he was preaching through uh, in that period, the book of Romans, in fact, when I got converted, he was in Romans 5. He had just taken over from his predecessor, Three years later, he was sort of winding up Romans 8. Now, Mm. those three chapters went a long way to sort out my soteriology. Right, yeah. uh, Clearly, as Mm. you would uh, appreciate. Mm -hmm. So, again, that was part of what the Lord used to to help me. Mm. Um, And then in those days, Burn of Truth books were relatively available in the country. Mm. Uh, There was only one uh, Christian bookshop, and they were there. Um, as a result, as we're listening to him preaching from Romans and quoting from a number of these authors, being university students, we wanted to read up. Mm. And consequently, we began to buy some of these books, realized that uh, there was a logo of George Whitfield on Literally all of them. I'm sure, yeah. We then just began to buy any book that had that logo. That's safe. It's safe to do when you see I can see that. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, these must be the good books. And <laughs> That's so, right. yeah, you know, we bought the Lewis Beckhoffs of this world and read. Mm. Uh, I've never forgotten reading just the first page mm. of Lewis Beckhoffs' systematic theology. Mm. Uh, it must have been either on the knowability of God or something. And feeling my, my brain almost splitting <laughs> <laughs> yep. with the content that was there. Mm-hmm. Thinking, wow, I mean this is this is a new world. I, I found it I found something <laughs> special here, yeah. <laughs> yes. And so forth. And then there were a number of us who were university students going to the same church and we were often arguing over doctrine mm. and that way we're shaping one another, not knowing. That was what was happening. Mm. And so it was out of that mixture that really the Lord molded me and a few of my friends who induced his and became pastors. And then you were called to be the pastor at Kabata Baptist. Was that your first pastorate that, when that happened? Yes. Yes. What happened is when I went to work in the mines, within about a year, my pastor there resigned. Okay. Partly I caused the resignation. Uh-oh. <laughs> although it wasn't deliberate. I was asked to be the youth leader. Okay. And in the youth group, I introduced um, a systematic study of the Sermon on the Mount. So one week I would preach, the following week, no, no, first of all, we'd have a Bible study one week, um, inductive, and then the following week I would preach on the same text. Okay. And in due season, the youths began to challenge the elders to come and hear what was going on there. Mm. In due season, the elders challenged the pastor to come. Oh. And then they said to him, 
if you don't pull up your socks, we we might have to ask that young man to to take over. Oh wow! So the 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 leadership and the pastor uh, knocked uh, their heads for a while. The pastor finally resigned, hoping the the membership would rise against the leadership. They didn't. Mm. He tried to come back. The leader said no. So anyway, in the midst of all that mess, uh, I was then asked that whenever I'm not working, I should be preaching in the the church pulpit. So out of that context then, uh, I became very involved in preaching Mm. and started going through a depression. Hmm. I was told it was fatigue, and I proved it. I had a full-time job, and then I was basically pastoring a church. And out of that, therefore, I wrote to my former pastor in Lusaka, telling him about the fact that I can't quit my job because I need the money. Hmm. I can't quit preaching and pastoring because that's where my heart is. Hmm. So he gave my name to Kabata Baptist Church, and they called me. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so that's what happened. And you were how old when you became the pastor of Kabwata Baptist Church? I would have been about 24 years old. Okay. Yes. Wow. And you've been there, because you're still there, how long have you been there now? Um, 31 years. Wow. Yeah. And you've been the pastor how long at, at Kabwata? 31? Yeah. Yes, yes. Wow. Uh, it's, it's only church of pastor. <laughs> Connor, that's okay. We, we we encourage that here. That's the same okay. for Jim too. So All right. Yeah, good. So it sounds like it sounds like the church, even as you were just learning and doing the ministry that was opening to you, that the congregation was affirming your gifts early on as, as a preacher. It sounds like based on that story you were telling, is that is that safe to say that the leaders in the church, there was fruit from your ministry coming even at a young age? Yes, well, looking back now and seeing the fruit that took place in that church in the two or so years that I was uh, ministering there, I mean, I wasn't ordained as a pastor, but the leaders recognized Mm. and basically, as I said, said, you know, you run the show here. Looking back now and seeing what the word did, because mm. ultimately it's God's word yeah. that that saves and sanctifies. Uh, clearly, the Lord's hand was on my ministry then. At that time, it was largely just battles that were taking place because mm. it was um, a context where the the West extremes of the charismatic sort of world were wreaking havoc mm. among the young people. Uh, and consequently, I I was the the center of attack. Then it was a Southern Baptist church where they were afraid of anything that smelled reformed, mm. and so the the missionaries began to come in and say that if I don't leave, they will lock up the church, mm. the church building. So there was quite a bit of uh, animosity there. Uh, the national leadership of the Baptist Convention in the country also then came in. But thankfully, when they came in and listened to the preaching, they themselves affirmed what was happening. Mm. And so they didn't stop Mm. uh, what was happening there. Um, And then, of course, I I went on to to Pastor Kawata Baptist Church. And you've pastored there over 30 years. And this is my, I think my last question I want to ask you before we wrap this episode up and, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue in the next one. But 
you don't just pastor Kabwata Baptist Church anymore after 30 years. Hence why you're ab- able to be here in our studio to record. Yes. That, so you have a lot of other ministry that God has blessed and has opened for you in the last three decades as you've been pastoring that church. Can you give us just a broad idea of what some of those things are that you're involved with now, ministry that God has used your gifts and opened for you? that are beyond the local church. And and then we'll get into some of those details in the next episode. But do you let the listeners know what some of those things are? Yeah, I, th- I think, first of all, within about three years of my becoming a pastor, the word got around outside the country, and consequently I began to get invitations. Uh, the elders then uh, locked me into 13 weeks a year mm. for external ministry. Mm. And... You know, although it feels and sounds as if I'm all over the place every month, it's still been 13 weeks a year. <laughs> Beyond that, I have to ask the elders for for extra time. So it's still 13 weeks, even in yes. The, now, okay, yes, all right. Yes. So it's it's been like that for over 25 mm-hmm. years. Yeah. Um, and then we have also been involved in training pastors. So we we've opened up a number of part-time colleges, mm-hmm. and that's where individuals like Jim here. Uh, have traveled a couple of times to to help us and their church supports uh, that as well. So that's also been going on. I think at any one time in at least four of those part-time colleges, we are training anything between 100 and 120 pastors. That's wonderful. Church leaders. Yeah. So that's something that's taking place there. We've more recently opened a university Hmm. called the African Christian University, where a number of people who are listening might know uh, Vodi Bokam yes. has come over to help us in developing that. So that's also, um, it's it's right now still very much in its uh, diaper stage. We, we're hoping that it will uh, mature into a major institution that will train not only in um, the the other sort of social sciences, but primarily as well, with respect to training pastors at the highest possible level. So there are quite a number. I've done a lot of writing. Mm. I am currently uh, the longest-serving columnist in the history of our country. Mm. Uh, I've been running different columns for at least uh, 27 years. Wow, that's great. uh, On a weekly basis. And then I, I also have little booklets that are constantly on sale back home uh, in the country, and so forth. So there are a lot of these different areas that uh, fill up my time mm. uh, by way of ministry back home. Your most recent book on preaching, we we spend a minute talking about that book so the listeners can know what that is. Yes, uh, I, I wrote a book recently uh, called uh, Pastoral Preaching, mm. um, subtitled Building a People for God. Mm. It's uh, under Langham Publishing. Mm. And uh, it's, it's primarily targeted towards uh, African pastors. So I've deliberately used a lot of um, African imagery and um, proverbs and mm. so on, uh, so that they would be helped to, to develop a, a more biblical mode mm. of, of pastoral ministry, knowing that those of you out here in the West can easily have 10 to 20 um, books on, on pastoral preaching that 
deal with matters in this context. Mm. And so I deliberately sought to major uh, in, in our African context. That's wonderful. Well, uh, what I want to do to wrap this episode up is I want to pray for, for Conrad and his work and just thank the Lord for what he's done in his life. And then we're going to continue this conversation in the, in the next episode. But let's take a minute and, and pray together. Lord, thank you for this dear brother. Thank you for the, all the different ways you have used him all around the world. We give you thanks for faithful men that we can look to, to be an example. And we thank you for his, the work that you've done in him and through him. Lord, thank you for saving him many years ago and and knowing you had a great plan for his life, already planned, that he didn't know about. And we thank you for the way you ordain our steps for all of us and you call us to a work. And Lord, we pray for other pastors listening to this, that they would be encouraged to see the work that you've done in this man and the work you're doing currently in, in his life. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would use Conrad this week in Louisville, Kentucky, and far beyond after, uh, to build your kingdom, to preach your word so that the gospel will be heard and known, and, and that you would encourage pastors and raise up college students to the mission field and all different kinds of things through him as you have done in the past. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.